This is the Pet Podcast on Pets.ca, episode number 58, Wolves and Wolf Hybrids, Do They Make Good Pets? An interview with Dr. Stanley Corin. Hey there, pet lovers. How's it going? And welcome to the 58th Pet Podcast on Pets.ca. My name is Marco, and today we're coming to you from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. For today's show, we have a really special guest, Dr. Stanley Corin. He is a professor of psychology at UBC, and he's also a dog expert. He's written several books on dogs, including The Intelligence of Dogs, How Dogs Think, How to Speak Dog. He's on the Pet Network as part of Pet Central, and he's also the host of a well-known dog training program that's still in reruns called A Good Dog. Well, today we have a really interesting interview, I think, and it's something that I've wanted to know for a long time. These days, some people are adopting wolves or wolf hybrids, hybrids, wolves mixed with dogs, as pets, and I really wanted to know if that was a good idea. So uh, we have the benefit of uh, speaking with an expert today, and uh, it's going to be a really interesting interview. This podcast was recorded at the Vancouver Maritime Museum, so you may hear some ambient noises and kids talking during the podcast. Given that the podcast is about uh, 25, 30 minutes long, I'm going to stop talking and let Let's just get right into it now. So I'd like to welcome a very special guest, Dr. Stanley Corin, uh, to our podcast. We are here at the uh, Vancouver Maritime Museum. So if you hear some kids and stuff, not to worry. But today we're going to talk about uh, wolves and dogs and where they come from and all about wolves and dogs. But before we get into it, I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Corin to our podcast. Welcome, Dr. Corin. Pleased to be here. Excellent. So, you know, a lot of people these days, they're getting wolves as pets and they're getting mixed wolves as pets. And I guess ultimately we wanted to know if that's a good or bad idea. But before we get into the good or bad idea, could you just give us a really brief history of where wolves come from, where dogs come from? Well, wolves and dogs uh, are off of the same stem. There was a, um, a line which started out with a little creature called Miasis. Imagine something which is like an oversized squirrel, but with a face sort of like a cat and curved claws. And that's the branch from which both cats and dogs come. And the wolf is simply one of uh, many species of wild canines, which includes foxes and dingoes and coyotes, yep, and uh, the, uh, the wild dogs uh, of Africa and that sort of thing. Uh, plus a whole bunch of incredibly interesting ones in South America. But what happened was that it appears that about 14,000 years ago, we began, begin to see the first domesticated dog. And the guess is, and if we believe the DNA uh, data, the guess is that the very first uh, species domesticated was the uh, gray wolf, uh, the Asian gray wolf. Um, and, but that doesn't mean that there haven't been other domestications. And, you know, the old definition of what a species was, which is where if, the, if two animals interbreed and they produce live fertile offspring, uh, then they're the same species. Well, by that definition, our domestic dog is, you know, the same species as the wolf, the coyote, the dingo, 
Is that because they can all mate? They can all mate with each other? Yes, they can all mate with each other. And even some of the foxes, now not the common uh, red fox, Volpes Volpes, because uh, he has the wrong number of chromosomes, but the, but the pretty little white uh, arctic fox and the, and the, the little uh, night hunter uh, Niger fox from the south western states. All of those, you know, including jackals and that sort of thing, uh, can, can uh, interbreed uh, with our dogs. This leads us to believe that they're, they're all from the same stem, very close, and that there were multiple domestications. The original domestication was probably done on the part of the dog. Primitive man uh, was a good hunter, but he was a slob. Uh, basically, uh, they would take uh, all of the parts of the animals that they were going to use, and the parts which they weren't, they threw outside of their village or camps in piles which we call middens. The great-granddaddies of our dogs, the wolf or the jackal or whatever else, you know, wandered by and said, look at that, a free buffet. <laughs> and it won't run away and it won't try to kill me, you know, and that sort of thing. So they began to sort of hang around those garbage dumps. And the ones which were tamest uh, and least fearful uh, toward man could, would come closer and stay longer and get the better food. So they prospered. Any of them who were aggressive, obviously the villagers would treat as a threat and would kill. The villagers didn't mind having them around because of several reasons. First of all, you know, they ate the garbage so they kept down the vermin. The second thing was that if there really was a time of famine, I mean, you could always, you know, kill them and, and have extra food. Yeah. But most importantly, they provided protection. You see, the, the wolves began to uh, treat this area as being their, um, yep, their own territory. And if a stranger or a wild animal approached, they would set up a clamor. And in those hostile times, that would give the, the village time to, you know, arm themselves and defend themselves. And they could also get better sleep because, you know, they knew these were out over here. And so the ones which were most prized were the ones which were noisiest. And in fact, that's one of the major differences between our domestic dogs and the wolves, is that our domestic dogs bark a lot. Uh, and wolves bark hardly at all. And it was only a short time for somebody to say, well, if a dog outside of the village provides a uh, protection for the village, then maybe, you know, a dog inside my house will provide warning uh, for me. So, you know, if a burglar or a, or a threat arrived, it would set up a, a commotion. Or if a friend arrived, you know, they serve sort of as a biological doorbell. So that's what we have been doing. I mean, we have basically been breeding dogs for two functions, to bark and to be extremely tame. That's the, the vital difference. The difference between a dog and a wolf, at least to a psychologist like me, the, the important differences are behavioral rather than genetic. We have bred dogs for specific functions. So, for example, it's easier to have a dog which does something naturally because of his DNA than it is to actually train them to do something. So we have bred dogs which naturally herd. I mean, I just, uh, two weekends ago, it was, uh, it was raining here and uh, went to go visit a friend who has a little Shetland sheepdog. We were standing outside, and the wind came up, and the next thing I saw was this little Shetland sheepdog trying to herd the ripples in a rain puddle. 
I mean, it's, it's pre-wired. This is a city dog, and you know, so the, in the same way, we have dogs which we've bred to be extremely protective, um, like the Doberman, for example, or to have hunting skills and retrieving skills and all of that sort of thing. But the companion dogs have all been bred to be kissy-faced. I mean, they bred to be empathic to us, and that's what makes them such good companion dogs. Now, here's the trick. There are a lot of people out over there who are always looking for exotic pets. And some of the people um, have been say, thinking that, well, you know, a wolf. Is, I mean, first of all, a lot of the people who, who have them are, you know, big macho guys and that sort of thing. You know, I'm going to get myself a wolf hybrid kind of a thing. Or, you know, sometimes there's women who are, you know, worried about, you know, safety, safety and that kind of stuff. The notion seems to be that somehow or another um, we have bred our dogs so that they have flaws. And the truth of the matter is we've actually bred our dogs so that they have some pretty terrific specific intelligences. And a lot of our dogs have been bred to be incredibly bright. In fact, today, for example, there are at least three strains of golden retriever. There is the basic golden retriever, who is your basic pet dog and that sort of thing. Here's your uh, golden retriever who has uh, been specifically bred to be a field dog, in which those field instincts are incredibly uh, good. And then there's a line of golden retrievers which have been bred for their intelligence. And these are dogs which are being used as assistance dogs or being very specifically used in obedience competitions and that sort of thing. So you, you can breed intelligence in and out and that sort of thing. And other people have argued, well, you know, it's, it, the wolf is a more vigorous animal. Well, it, that's not true. I mean, uh, our dogs... They're pretty vigorous. They're pretty vigorous <laughs> and, and have a natural longevity which is, you know, at least as long, if not longer, than the natural longevity of a captive wolf. The problem is that the wolf has not gone through this selective breeding. Remember the way that the wolves started. The wolves started by self-selecting themselves, and it was the tamest wolves which survived the best and eventually became our dogs. And that tameness um, is genetic. I mean, a, a Russian decided, a Russian scientist in Siberia actually, decided that he would replay uh, the process of domestication. He didn't want to do it with a wolf or a jackal or something like that because, you know, there might have been backbreeding with dogs who have gone wild and that sort of thing. So he wanted something uh, which uh, couldn't breed with dogs, and, but was a canine. And so he took the uh, silver fox, and there was a secondary benefit. If he could make them tamer, then in fact it'd be easier for people who were farm breeding them for their fur. And he found that in a very few set of genera in a very few generations, he could get. And all he's doing now is he's selecting foxes who are the most approachable and are the tamest, and will let themselves be touched and that sort of thing. In a very few uh, generations, he began to get animals which acted very much like dogs. Um, and um, they would bark, uh, they would wag their tails, they would approach people, they would lick, um, and all that sort of thing. Unfortunately, they also began to take on dog coloration, 
so black and white and you know multicolored instead of the silver which made them useless for farm breeding so in that way the experiment failed but it did show you know how quickly you could you could change um, the DNA in a in a line of animals so that they in fact were functionally domesticated and in fact uh, uh, I was speaking with a gal who is uh, running the program now, uh, Linda Tratt, and uh, the program still goes on because uh, they're looking for the, the internal, the biological changes which are happening. Which, pro- which program is this? Uh, this is in, in uh, Siberia, okay. the agricultural station there. Okay. So the dogs, uh, the tame foxes are now no longer useful as fur, so they're selling them as pets to help finance the program. So. You can get yourself a pet fox, uh, and they seem to be very successful. You know, they're, they're sort of a little bit cattier than most of our dogs. Um, what some people would want to know are they are they really good pets? Are there are they bad ramifications? Is the bigger picture good or bad breeding foxes with dogs and things of that nature? Well, they, no, these animals can't breed with dogs. That's the reason the Bellier of uh, selected them. Okay, so this is a separate line of animals. So okay, they're okay. so they're quite good. Okay. And they're only letting them out if they're if they're three A classification, which is the tamest of the tame. So okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Just want to be sure. Yeah, I mean they worry about litigation like everybody else does. <laughs> anyway, the problem is that you can't take a wolf and tame it. I mean and domesticate it. The wolf is is not tameable. He is versi- basically very spooky. And he becomes spookier uh, and more aggressive um, with time. There have been numerous attempts to tame wolves. The bottom line is that um, it just doesn't work. I mean, I'll give you two examples. Sure. John Fentress took a wolf, uh, which was a cub. He was about, she was about uh, seven weeks old when he took her. Um, She had been... Uh, bred in captivity, and he raised it like a family dog. And when she was young, he even took her to obedience classes, uh, you know, and and she she seemed fine. But as she got older, um, you know, began to be about 18 months or something in that vicinity, she began to show very wolf-like traits. She began to lose her uh, obedience uh, training. Uh, she began to um, uh, stalk the chickens out of the farm which he was in, and he killed the family cat that he had grown up with. And when she started stalking the kids, they gave her up. Adam Milashi, who is part of the canine uh, research lab in Budapest at Stovos University, thought to himself, well, maybe he just didn't get him young enough. So he had uh, a group of his graduate students um, adopt a litter of wolf pups from the age of three days, which meant that they were hand-fed. They were never in a litter where the mother was, you know, to show them any bad habits or that sort of thing. And they were reared as dogs, you know, attempt was made to train them and all this sort of other thing. And by 18 months, he stopped the program because the animals were becoming too aggressive and he was afraid of, of uh, they were becoming, and it a hurts. Da- well, he was afraid it would become a danger uh, to people. Um, so you really can't tame uh, a, a wolf. Now, what about wolf hybrids? Right. 
Well, this was this was this was tried. I, you know, um, like because just excuse me, like we see them in the paper. They're for sale now, right? You you see wolf hybrids. You see people oh. trying to sell them from time to time. Oh yeah, I mean, number of German researchers uh, looked at this and they decided, let's take a look at what happens. Right. Let me see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. German researcher by the name of Simmons, I believe, who's his name, uh, Siemens or something like that, begins with a Z. What he did was he took a wolf and bred it with a dog which was not known for aggressiveness, namely a poodle, to produce a hybrid which he called Poo-Woos. Cute marketing name, of course, yeah. Nowadays, they probably call them Woodles, (laughs) right, or something like that. He basically found exactly what Fentress and McLaughlin had found, and that is that when they passed their adolescence, when they reached someplace around two years of age, the wolf characteristics Start to take over. started to take over. Even if they were fostered with a poodle mother, it made no difference. What this demonstrated to them was that a single crossing with a wolf can undo 14,000 years worth of, of uh, domestication. And um, the current uh, head of the uh, uh, research uh, arm of the U.S. Humane Society, oh God, why am I forgetting his name? Anyway, uh, at recently at a, at a talk which uh, I heard him give, basically said that in their experience, no wolf hybrid is safe uh, beyond the age of three years. Really, eh? We did some research in which we looked at um, bite statistics, namely fatal bite statistics, because those are the only ones which there's mandatory recording of. And we found that based on the statistical frequency of these wolf hybrids, they are about one half of one percent of all of the, you know, canines which we keep as pets. However, they account for twelve and a half percent of all the fatal bites, which is a huge percentage given the it's, small amount of their right, representation. Right. It's, it's it's like twenty-five times yeah. higher than you'd expect. So on that statistical basis, you know, uh, that says that that they are dangerous. Now. There are a lot of people out over there who are going to complain about this. I know, you know, uh, my best friend has yeah. a, has has a has a wolf hybrid named Fang, you know, or something like that. <laughs> there are a number of people who are claiming to sell wolf hybrids, and all they are doing is selling long-haired German shepherds. And if you get a long-haired German shepherd. That works. <laughs> it, it, t- it tends not to be terribly aggressive. That's right. And uh, because they have found out that, you know, most German Shepherd connoisseurs do not like the long-haired variety, so they're not worth very much uh, to people who are showing them. But the, they do pop up, you know, and there are some lines which tend toward this longer hair. However, they can get premium prices from some people for wolf hybrids. And, of course, you don't have to provide a certified pedigree certificate because they're hybrids. <laughs> so, so I would be very leery of, of, you know, the people who are going to come up and say, 
I know a wolf hybrid who's very sweet and kisses your face and that sort of thing because certainly all the data says that by the time they're two, they're already a danger and, you know, oh, it's Gary, Randall Lockwood from, is the uh, guy from the Humane Society and he's basically saying, no, by the time they're between two and three, they're going to eat your children. See, that's the problem. There's always, there's always one doofus <laughs> that has a wolf, and maybe that, maybe that wolf or wolf hybrid, for whatever reason, hasn't maimed his family yet or what have you. You know what I mean? Is this basically, it's a high risk. This is, this is what we're saying, aren't uh, we? Yeah, I mean, look, we spent 14,000 years building the temperament of our dogs. And if we believe Siemens that you can undo it in a single crossing, I wouldn't take the chance. Right. Yeah. And I will, I will be absolutely honest about it. Um, if somebody came uh, to our dog club uh, with a wolf hybrid, if it was more than about eight or nine months of age, I would probably say we're not going to take him in our classes. Just too risky. It, it, it really is. It's not worth the risk. I certainly would not, you know, knowing the fatality statistics. You see, the, the other thing about it is dogs will put on quite a large display before they, they attack you, okay? So you get all of the breath growling and the snarling and that sort of thing. But wolves are basically predacious, and you don't do all that breath growling and that sort of thing if you're hunting something. You come up, you're a run-silent, run-deep, surface-to-surface missile, you know, and they strike without any apparent warning if they're in a predatory mode. So, you know, I mean, you, you, could, you could see them stalking, right. you know, and that's, that's the sorts of things which McLaughlin, you know, was observing and which Ventress was observing um, in their studies. But um, and when they do like and, and when they do attack, it's, uh, it's, like when you say stop or no, I mean I'm no, I'm going to no, assume no. obedience training is <laughs> is just not as easy, right? No, I mean in fact that would see that was the thing which which both groups um, observed is that you know when they when they're young you can obedience train them, right? But they uh, seem to lose their their obedience training uh, when they hit that sort of sexual maturity. Yeah, you know, 18-month, two-year uh, uh, kind of thing. There's a word for this, okay? You know, our domestic dog is neotenized. Neoteny is a technical word which simply means that the adult retains some of the puppy-like characteristics. And we see that physically. I mean, lop ears in a dog. That's a puppy characteristic. Wolf pups have, have ears which are floppy when they're young, and they prick out, you know. So that's sort of a physical kind of a thing. And, and a lot of breeds, like the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, you know, have those little pushed puppy faces and, 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 and big again, eyes. Again with floppy ears. Yes, again with floppy ears. But also in the package, which is important to me as a psychologist, is the fact that it comes with a whole bunch of behaviors. And those behaviors include the fact that they will accept leadership as well as be non-aggressive, as well as to bark because that's what, what wolf pups bark, wolf adults seldom do. And uh, they will uh, seek physical contact. Um, that's all this licking behavior which we get is really the sort of solicitating behavior which we get from puppies. So our 
domestic dog has basically then been bred to be trained and to retain that training because he is still, at least in some part of his mind, mentally, a wolf pup who is taking direction from whoever he feels is wearing the stripes. (laughs) The wolf, however, will lose the neoteny when he ages because he does go through the whole maturation process and that's that's the trick here and 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 that has been repeated so often that it's you know i'm beginning to think that that's sort of the gold standard because i mean i referred to two of the studies and uh and, and to the crossbreeding studies uh, but there are really about 14 of them in the literature. You know, I just took the ones which I think are most interesting and most reliable because they're really good scientists. So at the end of the day, I mean, the answer is really no. Um, you're taking a big risk. You know, stick with the wide variety of, of family dogs that we have now that have proven themselves over 14,000 years. Yeah, I mean, look, if you want something which looks like a wolf, right? Get a Malamute, or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a Malamute's a fine example over there. I mean, you know, a Malamute is, for all intents and purposes, identical to the Arctic wolf, except for the fact that his, his tail is curled. And he has the mind of a dog. Right. Or if you want a smaller package, you get a Siberian Husky. Or if you want something which looks like a timber wolf, you get a, a German Shepherd. And maybe you could find a long-haired Jer- German Shepherd which looks very wolfy indeed. While we're on the topic, let me tell you a little story. Please. The very first role which Rin Tin Tin had in the movies was playing a wolf. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if you, if you want the wolf character, I mean, you know, get yourself a decent German Shepherd. <laughs> and that way you don't have the risk, obviously. Yeah, exactly. You have the trainability. And, you know, the German Shepherd's a new invention of a dog. He's an 1880s, 1890s dog. And like all the newest dogs, you know, they've, they've been bred to be very bright. And you can still get lines of German Shepherds, which are fairly calm and non-aggressive. Um, or, as, or get one of the Nordic breeds. I mean, you know, the, the, the Malamutes are big and clunky, and, but basically good dogs. And the Siberians are a lot uh, more active and um, uh, look like wolves and uh, have blue eyes, so that right. makes them even more beautiful. <laughs> more, more exa- get some of that exotic characteristic. Right. And they're smaller. <laughs> smaller. Okay, then. Thanks so much for that, uh, Dr. Corrin. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find more about you? Well, I have a website, which is www.stanleycorrin.com. Yep. I have a blog, which comes out roughly bi-weekly. It's on the Psychology Today website, and it's called Canine Corner. And if people want to find out about this process of, you know, what we're talking about in terms of uh, wolf hybridization and that sort of thing, um, I have two chapters in my book, uh, Why Does My Dog Act That Way?, which talks about the process of domestication and why things like the hybrids fail. So if they really want some detailed accounts and, you know, find out the names of the scientists and that sort of thing, they can go there. And I'm going to put those links in the show notes, so it's going to make it really uh, easy for people to find. You're also on the Pet Network as well. People may know you from that. Yeah, I'm still on the Pet Network as part of Pet Central. And uh, 
there's still reruns going around to good dog. There's also, if you want to see some of the little uh, video clips of me working with dogs, uh, um, it's www.gooddogzone, all one word, dot com. Excellent. And like I said, all those links are going to go in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Korn, for doing this. I know it was enlightening for me, and I know many people are really interested in the, uh, the whole wolf uh, phenomenon these days. So uh, thanks a ton for clearing it up for us. Glad to be here. Thanks again. So I'd like to thank Dr. Corn one last time for sharing all that fascinating information with us. As mentioned, uh, a bunch of the things that we talked about during the interview are going to be in the show notes. And of course, if you want to check out a little bit more about Dr. Corin, go directly to stanleycorin.com. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And as always, after you've given your pet your last hug of the day, give him one more scratchy under the chin from Marco. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day.